Acts chapter 3, be taking our text from tonight. We're going to look at verses 11 through 26, Lord willing. And this will be part number 7 of our um, Acts Bible study series as we're looking at the Acts of Jesus Christ through his apostles and putting our attention and focus upon the, the first century church and what the Lord says for them to do and not to do. And I know I keep saying that. Maybe you're getting tired of it. That's all right. Go ahead and get tired of it. And I'm just going to keep saying it. Uh, because the Lord, when he wants us to know something, he repeats it. And so I like to follow in his footsteps and repeat things so that we remember them. That way you can say, well, I remember why we're doing this now. And uh, so tonight, for the Lord's help, we're going to look at these verses. I'm not going to read them all at the beginning. We'll just go through and look at them one or two at a time, sometimes three at a time. But uh, we'll start there in verse 11, Acts chapter 3. Verse 11, the Bible says, And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reading of your word tonight. I'm asking now that you help us as we try to expound on this text, and Lord, that you'll be glorified and lifted up. Lord, help us to get the best understanding we can, and Lord, to open Open up uh, the recesses of our hearts and minds to uh, be able to receive it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We left off last week looking at that miraculous healing of that lame man, been lame since his, since birth from his mother's womb. And uh, how Peter came by, Peter and John, as they're going, making their way into the temple, and here's this lame man sitting there begging for alms. And so he's wanting money from people. And so when Peter and John stopped by, he looks up at them. The Bible said he looked up at them expecting something of them. So he's expecting them to give him a coin or something. And Peter says, uh, silver and gold have I none, but uh, he did have something else for him. He introduced him to the Lord Jesus. And through the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, he reached down, grabbed the man by his right hand. And, and uh, the man got up and he not only just got up, but he leaped. And uh, he was running and leaping and glorifying God. And uh, what a thing that was. And we're going to see the results of that because of this man, because of uh, the, the witness of this man, what's going to happen. But here we see that the lame man, he's running, he's leaping, he's praising God, worshiping God for this healing that he received. And as I mentioned last time, he wasn't praising Peter and he wasn't praising John. He was praising God. And all the people knew this great miracle was wrought by God. And Peter's going to back that up. Peter's going to make sure they understand that this is who this was. Because you had to be very careful, especially in that day and age, if something like this would have happened, people would have looked at Peter like he was some something else. You know, they want to make a, maybe a God out of him, the way they did Paul. Uh, you know, they want to make a, a God out of Paul. And uh, uh, I believe it was Silas they was wanting to make gods out of. And, but you gotta be careful and make sure that you give credit where credit is due. Man cannot take credit for what God's done. All we can do is open our mouth and say what God said, said for us to say. And whatever results is, God gets the glory, not us. And so, uh, this healing he just received, he wants to remain there with these men. He has now got, uh, a bond with them. He now feels like they are, uh, probably, you know, uh, they have something in common. So the Bible says he held, uh, it says he, uh, which was healed, held Peter and John. He wasn't grabbing onto him and not letting them go, but what that means was he stayed in their company. He adhered to them. 
And that's what that word held means, to adhere to or to join oneself to. So he wanted to go where they were going. I mean, he's interested now. He's heard about Jesus. He knows he's been healed by Jesus. And so he knows these men know Jesus, so he wants to be with these men. Uh, I guess they become his, his new best friends. And you know, that's the way church folks ought to do. People that's like-minded and people that have things in common. And uh, when we're excited about the Lord Jesus, we ought to want to ad- adhere to each other. Uh, church folks ought to want to be around each other. I've been in some places where it seems like they they want to b- do the opposite. They don't want to be around each other. Got got a little group here, a little group there, and they don't talk to each other, want nothing to do with them. But uh, I tell you what, as um, children of God and uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, we need uh, to hold on to each other. And so that's one reason we do congregate together with each other. You know, there's a other lot of places we could be tonight. We could be at the Texas Roadhouse right now and eating some of them grilled pork chops. I like them. I'd rather be here, though. We'll get them later. But we ought to have things in common and do things together and, and uh, enjoy each other's company. Hang on to, hold them like this man did. But look at that part there. It says, uh, um, all the people ran together unto them to the porch they all ran together unto them this is exciting they had never seen anything like this take place especially at the temple now the temple there was a lot of things went on there but there was nothing like this before and so they had gotten a taste of true worship they'd gotten a taste of the true power of god not what the pharisees and the sadducees and and all those religious leaders up there wearing their gowns and all that stuff wasn't anything they had to do with it it was actually the power of god and it was kind of like when you take a, a match and i don't know if you ever done this when i was a, a young boy i i found a, a book of matches and of course you ain't supposed to play with them but it was a big book of them it was one of those long ones and i lit it and while I was holding it in my hand, I lit the other. I just touched it. And it went up. I mean, it just like that. And it, it burned my fingertips. They was all big old blisters on them. And I was at somebody else's house, one of my friend's house. His granny had to come out there and get on to me. But uh, that's the way that uh, true worship does. It's just like a book of matches. It, you, one gets started and it just goes right down through there. If you've ever been in a church service where somebody, where the Holy Ghost gets a hold of somebody and it just spreads like wildfire. One person gets up and shouts and before you know it, somebody on the other side shouts. And and you can just feel the Holy Spirit working within the church when it's like that. And so these are extraordinary circumstances these people are experiencing, have never experienced it before. They don't know what to do. So what are they doing? They're running through the temple. (laughs) Now that's not normal. They didn't run through the temple. Uh, they were very uh, orderly. They were very uh, reverent and quiet when they went in the temple. It wasn't a place to go running. But that's what's happened. They're running, and they're outwardly rejoicing in the things that God's done. And that's what the Holy Spirit will cause you to do. He'll cause you to do things you never thought you'd do. He causes me to be able to get up and stand up and preach and then look at people while I'm preaching. I can't do it any other way. If I try to talk to somebody outside of the Holy Spirit, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm like this. I'm looking down. I'm, you know, I can't look at you in the eye or nothing else. But when the Lord gets a hold of me, I can, I can do what He wants me to do. I can preach. I can teach. I can stand up. I can sing. I can, whatever it is. I may not be good at it, but I can do it. And, uh, because of the Holy Spirit allows you to do those things. And so this place that they're at where they're running to is the porch. It says, uh, in the porch, 
that is called Solomon's, greatly wandering. Solomon is the one that built this wonderful uh, place here, and uh, that's what it's called. It's named after him. It was a large section uh, there at the temple. It was covered over on the outside. and It had an, a wall. It was enclosed with a wall. And uh, it was on the east side of the temple, on the outside of it, and it was extremely large. This wasn't your front porch where you go out there on a rocking chair and rock, all right? This was a huge, almost like a, a, a sanctuary, uh, if you will, but it was a large place. Uh, the Jewish historian Josephus tells us this about it. He said, as to the porch, they built it before the temple. Its length was 20 cubits, and it was so ordered that it might agree with the breadth of the house, and it had 12 cubits in latitude, and its height was raised as high as 120 cubits. So this is not some ordinary porch. This was a, a magnificent marvel of a place. <clears throat> All right, look at uh, verse 12. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, You men of Israel, why marvel you at this? Or why look you so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? So you see what I'm talking about here. Peter's not going to take any credit for what's happened here. He said, why are you looking at us like we did something? We didn't, we didn't do nothing. All I simply did was offer him the Lord Jesus because that's what the Lord told me to do. And so don't look on us like it's our power or our holiness. No, it's it's through the Lord it's it's done this. It said there in the last verse, the people were greatly wondering. And so they were wondering, amazed and curious of how in the world this came to be. They know this man. They know he's been lame his whole life. And suddenly he's running around, jumping and leaping and, and praising God. And so they might have had it in their minds that Peter and John were some kind of gods or some kind of miracle workers or something. And Peter takes notice of that reaction of the people uh, apparently they're looking at him and John both, you know, with amazement. They're probably wanting to kind of do like what they did with Jesus when he when he fed the multitudes and they immediately want to make him king. Uh, could have been something along those lines, looking at him like that. But Peter asked him, he said, why are you looking at us like, like it's something in our power or because of our own holiness? So he's in no way going to take credit for what the Holy Spirit's done. He wants to set them straight real quick. You know, there's a lot of men in this world today that wouldn't do that. Uh, they'd want to take credit for everything that takes place. God do some great thing, and man wants to take credit for it. Look what I did. Look at verse 13, and we'll look at 13, 14, and 15 together. The God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his son, Jesus, whom ye delivered up. And denied him in the presence of Pilate, when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God has raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. You talk about scorching somebody. I mean, Peter is absolutely letting them have it. He's, he's not holding back nothing. Uh, not only is he not going to take credit for what the Lord's done in this great miracle, but he's going to be preaching so hot and heavy to these people. I mean, it's going to make their heads spin. Uh, very, pay very close attention to what he says to them. Make notice, he doesn't take any efforts to spare their feelings. He didn't come up there and say, well, I've got something I'm going to have to tell you about and talk to you about. You're not going to like it, but I hate to even say it, but no, he didn't do that. He got up and he just let them have it with both barrels. 
And uh, boy, they they take notice. They need to know the truth. And Peter is a preacher that is going to preach the truth. And so he goes into how these very Jews were the ones that were standing there. Those that's in the temple and on the porch, they're the ones responsible for the death of Jesus. If not them personally, their family members, their uh, their relatives or, or whoever, they're responsible. And uh, to kill their own Messiah, what a terrible thing. And just as Peter told the blind man, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, he specifically uses the name of Jesus to these people. Now, I did some word searches on the name Jesus in our New Testament, and that name is used 983 times in the King James Bible. 983 times the word, the name Jesus. And uh, 256 of those is in John 172 in Matthew, 100 in Luke, 97 in Mark, and here in the book of Acts, 68. Then in Romans to Revelation, it makes up the rest 68 times the name of Jesus is used in this book right here that we're preaching from tonight. So Peter wants to make sure that these people know who did this, who's responsible. And it's not him and it's not John. Just like John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. Peter's come a long way from when he first began. Now, like I said, most men today would want to take full credit for all this. Look at all the people that's gathered to see me. Boy, I've been around some preachers that I I cannot stand. And I'm telling you, that sounds terrible. I cannot stand to be around them. All they do is brag. Brag, brag. Do you see how many people's in the parking lot? Do you see how many cars we had to park? Do you see this? Do you see that? And all this stuff. I'm like, brother, I don't care nothing about any of that. I don't care anything about it. And boy, there's people that is so caught up in numbers. Uh, anytime you get a, a group of preachers around, the first thing they want to know, how many of y'all running down there? I just want to reach out and smack them. How many of you running? I don't care how many you're running. It ain't none of your business how many we're running. But they're, they're so caught up in, in man's ideas of what success is. Well, if you ain't running at least 150 down there, you might as well just close the doors. There are preachers out there like that. If you don't believe me, just go hang out with them. But a lot of men today want to take credit for what God's done. And notice also he doesn't let them blame the Romans. He's not blaming the Romans, even though the Romans were... Really, the, the final ones that had to carry it through because of legal issues, legally, the Jews were not able to do that. So they had to have the Romans do it for them. But it was the Jews that actually caused it to come about. But he's not going to let them get by with saying, oh, it was the Romans that killed him. It was the Romans, not us. He said Pilate was determined to let him go. And we know that's the truth. His wife came out there and said, don't have anything to do with this just man. I've had dreams about this man. Don't you have anything to do with him? And he comes over there and washes it like, like that really helped, you know, washing his hands of this matter, you know, find no fault in him. And he, he didn't. There was no fault found in him. And so Peter wants to let him know right quick that, you know, even the Romans was going to let him go. You guys said no. You all said you wanted to murder instead. And so they decided they're going to kill the Holy One, the Prince. What was it he called him up there? Called him a Prince. Prince of life, whom God had raised from the dead. And so uh, he's not going to let them get by with blaming the Romans. You talk about punching somebody in the gut. That right there did it. I'm sure they were all just kind of frazzled at that point. (laughs) All right, look at verse 16. And his name, through faith, 
in his name, hath made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Now notice Peter is now preaching about faith in Jesus. He's accrediting this as an act of faith. He says, by faith, and his name through faith, and his name hath made this man strong, whom you see and know. The faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And listen, our whole religion is based on faith. It's a religion of faith. Our our beliefs is simply faith. And it's by grace through faith that we're saved. And so, you know, uh, I didn't have to see Jesus hanging on the cross. I didn't have to see him nailing the nails in, in him or piercing his side with the sword or putting him in the ground uh, in the tomb. I didn't have to see any of that. By faith, I believe it. I believe it with all my heart. Because of that faith, by his grace, I can be saved. I am saved. And so uh, now this man who's been lame for over 40 years can now walk and run and leap. And now he's going to preach, it's by faith in Jesus that all men must be saved. That's what Peter's going to do here. Look at verse 17. And now, brethren, I wot that that through ignorance you did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before had shown by the mouth of all of his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he has so fulfilled. And so before you think Peter's getting a little way out right here, he's not. He's not. This is not an escape route saying, well, you were just ignorant. You didn't know any better, honey. No, it's not what he means. He's hammering them hard. He says it was through their own ignorance that they did it. They were so ignorant, even though they already knew the prophecies that was given. And Jesus fulfilled every single prophecy, and yet they killed him anyway. He said, you did it because you were ignorant of it. And so, uh, look, they should have realized that Jesus was their Messiah, but, but they were ignorant of that fact. Due to their lack of understanding. May I say to you today, there's a lot of lack of understanding of people that say they're Christians, don't understand the Bible, they don't read the Bible. And so they, they lack understanding. And so anybody can come by and tell them something about the Bible and they'll just take it hook, line, and sinker. You know, they're like that old carp out there in the river. You, you throw a chunk of uh, chicken liver or something down there and that thing goes, that's the way a lot of Christians are. You get some... Uh, Jehovah Witness or something come knocking on the door and they'll just like when he mow carp sucking down a chicken liver. Believe every word of it. And so uh, we need to know the Bible. We should be biblicist. We need to, we say we're Christians. We need to know what God said. When my, when me and my wife were dating, we wrote love letters to each other. And I guarantee you, we hung on every word. I read every word front and back. I kept them, I saved them, I loved them, I cherished them, I read them over and over and over. Because why? Because I love her. We say we love Jesus, do we do Him that way? Do we read His letters over and over and over? Do we cherish them? Do we think about them? Do we hang on every word? We ought to. If we love Him, we ought to. Look at verse 19. Peter's going to give them the answer of what they need. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. So now he's preaching the obligation of every lost sinner, and that is they must repent and turn to Jesus to be saved. Now, 
may I say to you, anybody that teaches repentance is not part of salvation is preaching, they're not preaching the truth. The Bible over and over and over shows us that repentance is part of salvation. It is not a work. There's some people out there, he's, he's preaching you got to work and repent, and that's work. No, it's not. No, it's a gift. God gives you the gift of repentance. Repentance is when you realize you're a lost sinner. You don't want to be that sinner. You don't want to be the way you were. You can't do nothing about it. So you turn from being that sinner to turning to Christ to save you. That's repentance. And that is a gift of God. God is the one that causes you to do that. You didn't do that on your own. People say, well, I found God. No, you didn't. God found you. And he is the one that convinced you you needed to be saved. He's the one that saved you. He's the one that did it all. And so he gave you the gift of repentance, realizing, I don't want to be this way. Lord, I don't want to be a lost sinner. I want you to save me. And so it's simple as that. It's not some kind of work. And, you know, people say, well, now all you got to do is call the name of the Lord and you can be saved. That's what the Bible says. Yes, it does. It says it over and over. However, it's contingent upon everything that was said before that. In other words, you must know who Jesus is to call on his name. You don't call on the name of somebody you don't know. You don't just think that somebody's going to save you and you don't know anything about them. You don't know what they did for you. And suddenly you just yell out a name. That's meaningless. The reason you would call on the name of the Lord and be saved is because you believe in the gospel. You believe that Jesus came here and died on the cross to save you from your sins. I believe that, so I'll call on his name for salvation. Then you can be saved. But you just, somebody can't not know anything about the Lord and suddenly say, call on the Lord's name, call on Jesus and be saved. Jesus, save me. And not know anything about it. Don't know why he yelled that name. Don't know what that name is. That's not right, friends. The Bible teaches us that we must believe in the gospel by grace through faith. You, you don't call on somebody's name to save you don't have faith in. And so, uh, listen, uh, we need, that's another reason we need to understand our Bibles. People grabbing a verse here and a, gra- a verse there and claiming everything on that verse. Well, what did it say before that verse? What does it say after that verse? Because that's very important. And so uh, we can call the name of the Lord and be saved if we know why we're calling on his name, to be saved. All right, that phrase right there, that your sins may be blotted out. That is a, a borrowed from the Old Testament. Numerous times in the Old Testament you find instances of this term being used and it simply means sins have been forgiven. That's what it means. Your sins are blotted out, they've been forgiven. Some verses you'll find Isaiah 43 and 25 says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. I love that song, Brother Scott, when you sing it soon. What sins are you talking about? I don't remember them anymore. You remember them. The devil remembers them, but I don't remember them. Psalm 51, 1, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Psalm 51 and 9, Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. And so it's simply realizing that God wipes away our sins, not to be remembered anymore. That phrase there of the times of refreshing, it's probably referring to the time when Christ the Messiah will set up his earthly kingdom. It's probably what that's referring to, the millennial kingdom. Because that's what the Jews have been waiting on their entire life, is for the earthly kingdom, for the millennial kingdom, as as we sometimes call it. Um, 
the refreshing there means, to, of course, to be refreshed, to have rest, to be renewed. And that's the promise that God gave them. You will enter into my rest. You'll be renewed by my strength in my kingdom. And so that's uh, these are his people that he adopted. He first adopted the Jews, the Israelites. And they were looking forward to this time of refreshing. And the Jews are always longing for rest because they are always in turmoil. Don't believe me? Go turn on the news tonight. They still hate the Jew. The Jew is the most hated uh, race of people on the face of the earth. And so uh, they're always in turmoil. Every day you see that people want to destroy them. One day they will get rest. One day they will. One day they will realize who Jesus is. Look at verse 20. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you. Well, since Jesus had already come the first time and they had killed him and rejected him, Peter is not meaning here that God will send Jesus to them in bodily form right there at that moment. That's not what he means uh, if they repent. He, he means through the Spirit he will send Jesus to them. Uh, Jesus will be sent to them, their Messiah. In other words, if, they, if they'll be saved and saved in the name of Jesus and believe on him as their Savior, then they will, uh, Christ will be sent to them. Not, not in physical form, but spiritual. Verse 21. Whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So in other words, Jesus must remain in heaven until the time comes that he's going to set up his earthly kingdom as their Messiah. He's not going to do that until the Jews recognize him as king. And uh, until they mourn over their sins and repent in their hearts and call on him as their Lord and Master. Until then, he's going to remain in heaven. And we know that day will come about just like it was prophesied. Uh, Peter said, his holy prophet since the world began. And these Jews knew the prophecy. They'd been taught it. They've heard it all their life. Example, in Zechariah 12 and 10. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son. And shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Uh, when that time comes, friends, uh, we're going to see those Jews um, get saved when they, when they understand who Jesus is. All right, look at verse 22. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall you hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. So Peter is stressing all the way back to the times of Moses that Jesus was the Messiah. He's the one that's been promised all the way back to Moses. He was prophesied and Jesus fulfilled every single prophecy. And he truly was a prophet raised up among them. Uh, John one eleven. he came unto his own, and his own received him not. What an awful thing to think about. If they had believed on him and accepted him the first time he came, he very well could have set up an earthly kingdom. He very well could have. But they didn't. They rejected him. Uh, you know, you can't have a kingdom till you have a king. If you reject the king, then you don't have a kingdom. And so they don't, they're not going to have that until they finally do. All right, verses 23 and 24, And it shall come to pass 
that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after as many as have spoken have likewise foretold of these days. And so what he's saying here, to reject Christ a second time is going to be catastrophic. It's going to be it for you. There, there is no going back from that. They will be destroyed along with all other unbelievers. And some people say, well, I thought all Jews were going to be saved. Didn't what the Bible said, all Jews will be saved? It's meaning all of the Jewish race, the nation of, of Jews. It does not mean every individual Jew. All Jews must be saved the same way that you and I are saved, by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so those that do that will be saved. But no, God's not going to just look out and say, well, I selected the Jews, so every Jew that's ever lived saved. That's not how it works. And there's a lot of people believe that. That's not right. Not every individual, but as a whole, the Jewish nation. Eventually, the Jewish nation will come to believing faith in Christ and turn to him. Uh, but not each individual Jew. Now, Peter stresses the point that all the prophets have foretold this all along. It shouldn't be a surprise to them. All right, look at verses 25 and 26. We'll be finished. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first God, unto you first God, having raised up his son Jesus, send him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. Uh, so Peter ends this sermon with the promise that God had spoken to the prophets. Uh, God will bless them when they repent. They turn from their unbelief, turn from their sin, and trust Jesus as their Savior. Now they, they didn't use the word Savior. They used the word Messiah, which is, is the, it means the same thing. Uh, no more punishment after that. Their sins will be blotted out, gone forever. He can establish his earthly kingdom. And uh, that's the thing they've been longing for all through history, and they can finally see that come to pass. Now, we don't have time to get into the next chapter tonight, but we'll see next time that, that Peter and John's preaching did not go over well with the Jewish leadership. Uh, it did not go over well at all. In fact, they're going to take them, they're going to uh, question them, and uh, some other things. We'll talk about it next time, but uh, we'll stop for that for right now. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the preaching tonight. Lord, for the word that's been read and studied upon and, and taught. And God, we're just praying that it's been helpful. Lord, I pray that you open up our hearts to be able to understand your word the best we can. And God, that we'll continue uh, studying, Lord, meditating on scripture and praying over it. And God, seeking your guidance and your wisdom, your leadership, Lord, the, the Holy Spirit that illuminates the scripture for us. And God, we're praying now that you go with us into the business meeting part of the service. And Lord, everything that takes place will be glorifying you and be a blessing. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.